Well, I like bread. Actually, I like food in general, as you can tell. I can really put it away when I want to, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, bread, you know, meat has got to be number one for me. But, but bread is kind of in there. I really like a, a nice, heavy, solid bread with, with all kinds of different grains in it and so on. I like it. I like it sometimes with dessert. I take a big hunk of bread and I, I slather butter on it and my arteries begin to harden at the sight of what I'm about to do. Slap on some honey or jam, and, and that's that's good for that's good for dessert sometimes, or or in a meal, you know. I just I, I just kind of really like bread, and I suppose really that that's quite common. Uh, bread, of course, is is sort of a staple uh, in, in various places in the world, and I suppose it's it's so uh, because we like it, it's so common that bread comes to stand for what we need physically to sustain us, doesn't it? I mean, even, even Jesus does this. I mean, when we think about the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, does he mean just bread? No, what he means is give us today all that we need to sustain us physically. All that we need to live. And so because of that, bread, it came to symbolize uh, money even, right? I mean, way back even from the 1930s, I, I checked it out. Because I might remember the hippies kind of saying that, you know, hey, I need some bread or whatever. And it's about the 1930s, they started using bread as a word for, for money. You know, I've got to earn some bread. As time's gone on, it's evolved a little bit. And we say, hey, we're going to earn some dough, right? You heard that phrase? And so it symbolizes everything that we need to sustain life. Well, we're working our way through the Gospel of John chapter 6, and we're, we're down here in the, you know, the signs and so on, and the feasts, and we started looking chapter 6. Last week, we started looking at the Passover, and we had Jesus, you'll remember, feeding 10, 15,000 people uh, from just a few loaves and a few fish, and this miracle that took place, and we asked the question, hey, is our Jesus big enough? That when we face insurmountable problems with insufficient resources, do we remember that Jesus is there uh, to provide us what's necessary to get us through all of these things? And so Jesus uh, does this miracle. We had that teaching. And then uh, the crowd kind of gets really worked up because they think that the Passover is being fulfilled. And here's the new, the new Moses that's going to come and lead us and so on. Remember that whole thing? Let's make him as king. And so uh, Jesus withdraws from the crowd. Crowd, and then he does this miracle that shows he's more than just a Moses, that he is in fact God Almighty. He walked on the water. That's where we left off last week. Now, this week, what's going to happen is the crowd's going to realize that, hey, Jesus isn't around. They come around the lake and they see that there was only one boat and Jesus was left behind the disciples. And, and how did Jesus get here? And all this sort of question. And Jesus is now going to build on that, on that, that sign, that miracle of multiplying the loaves and fishes and this teaching about bread being what's essential for life. He's going to sort of build on that whole thing here as we pick up in uh, chapter 6, verse 25, and he's going to talk about how bread for life and the symbolism of that. Now, here's the deal. As we get into this passage, we're going to go all the way down to, to verse 59. So honestly, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a complicated passage because Jesus sort of repeats himself, but he doesn't quite repeat himself. There's some nuance of words and, and there's some big theological stuff in here that people argue about Calvinism and Arminianism and, and election, non-election, and, and is he talking about communion and is it Eucharist communion? There's all kinds of stuff in there. And so we're going to try and... Uh, dive into that a little bit. So, but let me just give you this whole thing 
so that we have our guiding star to know where we go uh, through this kind of complicated long passage, okay? And it's this. What I want you to remember is this. Bread's good, but Jesus is better. Okay, pretty simple, right? Bread's good, Jesus is better. Well, what's essential for life on earth, you know, for getting up in the morning and getting us through the day, bread, you know, that's good, it's important, but Jesus is better. And that's kind of where we're going to go with this whole thing. So let's take a look where Jesus begins by talking about some important work and asking these these people who are searching him out after this miracle, what is it that you're after? What is it that you are working for? So let's look at verses 25 to 27. This is what Habit says. When they found him on the other side of the sea, because they realized, hey, there's only one boat, how did you get here? Rabbi, when did you get here? What they really meant is, how in the world did you get here? When did you get here? And Jesus said, look, truly, truly. And so we know that when Jesus says, truly, truly, or amen, amen, he's, this is the code for, in the Gospel of John for what I'm about to say is really, really important, okay? So pay a very close attention. Sit up and watch. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs. He didn't clue in that the miracle I did was a sign. But because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. God has set his seal. Hmm. What in the world is he saying? Well, what he's asking them is, what in the world are you working for? You notice that what he does is he skips their question. They ask, Rabbi, how did you get here? How did you get across the sea? He ignores all of that and goes right for what is in their hearts, right for the important thing that's going on with them. And he says, listen, you don't really want to know that. You're only asking that as sort of the polite question before you get into the introduction of what is it that you will give us, Jesus. And so he says, look, (laughs) what you're really after is you're after bread, but you have missed the point of the miracle of the sign that I did. You didn't understand that what I was doing was giving you a sign that was all about me. Your focus, your energy, the way you're spending it is all wrong. You're only interested in filling your bellies and your material desires. You're choosing your bellies over the spirit. Man, I'm the same way. I don't know about you. Now listen, we all understand you've got to spend a certain amount of time and energy about you know, earning a living and making sure that you have food and shelter and clothing and looking after the kids and all, all that kind of stuff. I understand that. But, but what Jesus is saying, look to your heart and really what's the, what's the emphasis of your heart? Are you pursuing this bread of the earthly life? Is that the main goal of your life? Or are you doing those things to, to get through life and to do what's necessary to live a life and receive the blessings of God on life? But really your heart and your focus and your attitude and your deepest desire are things of the Spirit, things of the kingdom. Where is it that your imagination goes when you begin to think about your life and the priorities of your life? What are those things that loom up as the, as the big picture, the big story, the big questions, the big desires? And all too often for me, it's filling my belly and the earthly desires and these sorts of things. 
And Jesus is saying, what is it that you are working for? What is the driving force of your life? Because Alan and crowd, you need to aim a little bit higher. You need to be thinking about the kingdom. You need to be working for eternal life. You need to be working for the food that I will give you. Because you see, what Jesus is going to say, and what he tells us, is it's, it's a combo deal. On the one hand, this eternal life is something that is a gift of God. It is something that comes from Jesus, from the Father, through Jesus as a gift. On the other hand, there is work that we have to do. I know, you know, if you're around churches very long, you know, it's like, oh, you've got to watch out for works theology. And you do have to work out for works theology. But that doesn't mean that we don't do anything, that we don't have some part to play in this receiving of the life. And so Jesus is saying, listen, what you need to think about is the work that you have to do to gain eternal life. And so the crowd kind of takes the bait and says, okay, we'll take up the challenge. Tell us about this work that we should be doing. What is the work that we should be doing instead of worrying about all of the stuff that fills our belly? Well, verses 28 and 29 Jesus says to them, look, they said, what should we do? What should we, that uh, we may work the works of God. What's the work that's required? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent me. Believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is believing. It's shocking, isn't it? What we need for eternal life is to believe, to trust that the Father has sent Jesus the Son to lay down his life, to cover over our sins, to rise from the dead, to conquering death, to rise to sit at the right hand of God, to sit as our intercessor until one day he will return and bring about new creation and make everything right and good again. The work that God requires is for us to believe that to trust in that, to count on that, to make that the aim and the focus of our life, to live out this desire. That's our work. And it's God's will that we do that. You know, there's lots of questions, you know, if you've been a Christian for very long, especially if you're a younger person, you know, what's God's will for my life? Well, fundamentally and bottom line is God's will for our life is that we believe in Jesus, that we trust in Jesus. Well, the, the crowd, their curiosity is up now. All right, so I'm supposed to, you know, focus on, on, on the stuff that gives life eternal and not just for my bellies. And, and the work of God is, to, is, uh, is, is what I need to be doing. It's God's will that I would do that. And the work is to believe. How can we trust you, Jesus? How can we trust The crowd asked that this is actually the work that we have to do. You know, Moses, he gave us this sign. And he showed that he was working from God because God, through Moses, sent down this manna from heaven. Moses, our father, gave us this bread. And we knew that, oh, obviously he is God's man for the hour. How is it that we can trust from you? How about some bread from you? And so Jesus then begins to dive into the center of the matter. Verse 30. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What are you going to do? Our ancestors ate manna from the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, very truly, against that truly word, very truly, 
I tell you, it's not Moses who, give, who has given you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. So they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Is what Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, you're making this great big deal out of Moses. Moses is your father. Moses is your leader. But what I need you to understand is that it wasn't Moses that gave you bread. It was God the Father that sent manna down to heaven for you. And that manna that we had as we were escaping from slavery from Egypt, remember we talked about last week, that manna that you gave him, that was just a prelude. That was just a foretaste. That was just a sign of the true bread that is yet to come. The real life-sustaining food. And now God has sent the true manna. God has sent the absolutely sustaining food. The true bread that comes from heaven and gives life. And so they said, okay, then give it to us. That's what we want. Let's talk about that. And Jesus says, okay, here I am. Here I am. The bread of life. You think Moses is great? Well, I am all you need to live. And not just for a little while, like the manna from heaven, but live forever and ever and ever throughout all eternity. I am the bread of life. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know that, that there's seven sayings in John about I am, I am the bread of light, I am the light of the world, I am the resurrection of light, the seven times. And each of those sayings have to do not with so much defining um, who Jesus is, but defining his relationship with us. And in this I am statement, what Jesus is saying is, listen, let me tell you who I am. I am what you need to live forever in the presence of Almighty God. I am the bread of life. I am the pathway, the resource, what's necessary for eternal life. But it's not just this eternal life. And sometimes we think, you know, our disembodied souls floating around. Jesus is saying, no, no, I, this is, I'm going to raise you. It's going to be the resurrected life. I'm what you need to be resurrected, to be a part of the new creation that I'm bringing about. The problem is I've been giving you all of these signs pointing out who I am, but you are just not getting it. You are simply not believing. But you need to understand it's the Father's will that you believe and that you have eternal life. This is what he goes on to say, starting in verse 37. <clears throat> all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who gives, who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of the one who sent me, that all of that he has given me, I lose nothing. But I raise it up. That's resurrection. I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Is that verse 40? I'm going to keep going here. 
Let's verse 4, you think? Yeah. I thought it went a bit further. I myself will raise him up on the last day. Now, let me just say this, because th- these are the verses that get really important to all the Bible nerds, and this is the, the center of the, the debate of Calvinism and Arminianism. Have you ever heard about that whole thing? It's, it's this debate that, you know, we would say that sort of extreme Calvinism is like God chooses who lives and who dies. God puts his, uh, he'll call certain people and they're suited for heaven and then he doesn't call other people and they're suited for eternal direction and God just you know, does that. That's sort of the extreme statement of it. On the other side of the debate are people that say, no, 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 no. We as human beings, we have a choice. And God offers us salvation, and we can choose salvation or not choose salvation. It's up to us to make the decision how we do it. And this, this debate has been raging back and forth for centuries. How is it that God would choose some people for life and some people for death? Or am I just this person who can't resist the grace of God, or I can't get the grace of God even if I want it? And these verses tie into this. And if you read the commentaries on this passage about God's will and who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven, all this stuff, these are some of the verses that come in. So let me just kind of skip over it a little bit, okay? Just real, real quick about how to do it. Gordon Fee is the first one that, that explained this to me. And then I was reminded of it uh, in a class I talked reading from him. And then I was reminded with the commentary by Ben Witherington. And it's this. When we're talking, in, when the Bible talks about the elect or the chosen or the people, like who's going to heaven, who's going to heaven. So God, it's God's will. God has given me certain people, right? That's kind of how verse, verse 37 kind of sounds, isn't it? God's given me certain people. And other people, you know, I'm not going to let go of them. Whenever the Bible talks about this, it's always a collective, okay? The Bible doesn't use that language in terms of individuals. And so the elect or the chosen are the collective people who are in Christ. So those who are in Christ, the church, that is the elect, that is the whole, that are the people. But when he talks about individuals and choosing, that's where individuals come in. And the Holy Spirit works on individuals, and the individual can choose whether or not to join the elect. Do you see how that works? This is the combination of how God the Father, the sovereignty of God, the rule of God, and the dignity and the agency of human beings. God teaches us and calls us. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And if we choose to say yes, then we join the elect. That's how this whole thing works. It's this partnership that it goes together, that we work together. In verse 37, it doesn't really say whoever Father gives me. It says all that. And it's this collective word that Ben Witherington talks about. So the elect are always a group. And they are... Eternally secure. Christ will always have the church. The church will never fail. The church will never be lost. This group of people. But individuals can choose whether or not to be in that. Now, that debate's been raging for a little while. So if you disagree with me on that, if you want to talk more, we can have a coffee and in 10, 15 minutes we'll resolve the issue that's raised for several hundred years. 
But to me, when, when Gordon Fee explained this whole thing to me, how in the Bible it always is talking about a group, never an individual, when it talks about the elect and the chosen. And then yet there is still this deciding. It made total sense to me about how God and people work together. So, God's will. Here's the bottom line, though. God's will, God's desire, God's heart is for us to become part of the chosen by eating the bread of eternal life, by taking Jesus into ourselves, by putting our trust in him. And this is not just some little glance towards Christ that he's talking about. What Jesus is doing is he's trying to, he's using this language of the bread. Is he's trying to say, listen, what you need to do is you have to take me into yourself deeply. The God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are going to continue to work within you so that you would take me deeply within yourself. That you would truly pursue me and devour me and be a part of me. You need to allow yourself to be taught as the Holy Spirit works on you, so that you would come to me. That is the Father's work, to take me in deeply. Verses 41 through 51. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because they said, I'm the bread that's coming down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, who the father and mother we know? How can he say it came down from heaven? That whole, remember we looked way back there and there's this joke that kind of carries through the Gospel of John of people uh, thinking, where does Jesus come from? Where does he come from until we get all the way through there to Pilate? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I'll raise them up on the last day. It will be written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. And everyone who has heard the Father has learned from him, comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But there is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. And whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Father draws people to me by his teaching through the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, you can hear the Spirit and we can allow the Spirit to convict us or we can resist the Spirit. But God's saying, listen, what I want you to do, says Jesus, I want you to allow God by his spirit to teach you, to draw you through the Father, to teach who it is that I am. I want you to pursue a deep understanding. And he goes back to this metaphor of bread and he says, listen, you need to have a voracious appetite for me. You need to understand that in order to sustain your spiritual life on earth and on into eternity, you need to devour me. You need to take me deeply within yourself. You need to think of me as the life-giving bread. And just like bread sort of becomes a part of you, because we are what we eat, as you devour me, as you take me into yourself, as you pursue me, as you, you know, crave me like you crave food if you haven't eaten for three days, as you do that... I will become within you and you will be in me. 
And you will begin to be transformed because we are what we eat. And as you devour me and as you know me and as you take me into yourself, I will begin to change your character so that you begin to look like me. And so eating becomes this powerful symbol of what true believing is. Not just a nod, not just a glance, but an absolute devouring continually of Jesus building our trust and our faith in him. You need on a regular basis to take me into yourself as you do food for your body and I will make you like me. And verse 51, he gets very, very serious. Very particular. He said, this bread is my flesh which I'll give for the life of the world. This is Jesus saying, listen, I'm going to die. The way in which I'm going to give you life, the way in which I'm going to give you eternity, is this bread which is my body, it's going to hang on a cross. And I'm going to take death upon myself so that you can live. The deepest truth of Jesus that we are to devour and digest is to believe that Jesus gave his flesh, his body, to die a violent death so that you could live, so that I could live, so that we could live together eternally with God. And we know that that's the central truth. We understand that that's really what Jesus is trying to get a, hell, get, get a hold of us, is this truth, because he sort of doubles down on it, doesn't he? I mean, what Jesus does, he gives an offense with a purpose because the Jews hear this and they are really upset. They say, what in the world are you talking about? How can this possibly be? And Jesus just doubles down. Let's look at it, verse 52 to 59. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, again, listen up, this is really important. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. It's what you really need. And my blood is true drink. It's what you really need. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. He lives in me. He is a part of me. He belongs to me. And I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died like with Moses. He who eats this bread will live forever. He who takes me in himself will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. The people were so offended at the idea of cannibalism. They're really upset. So they challenged that. How, how can this possibly be? What are you talking about? But Jesus doesn't back off. As a matter of fact, instead he doubles down. He says, oh, does this offend you? 
then let me explain to you, I'm going to force upon you a decision. I'm not going to back away. I'm not going to hedge on this whole bit. I'm going to force you to make a decision. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are dead. Unless you take me into yourself, unless you put your trust in me, unless you take me as Lord and Savior, unless you understand that I am the only way for you to have eternal life, you are dead people walking. You have to take me into yourself. Now, just real quick, uh, this is one of the other points where there's controversy in this because it sounds like communion, doesn't it? The bread and the wine and the juice. It sounds like communion. So people say, well, is, is he talking about uh, the Eucharist? Is he talking about communion? There's debates go back and forth. Uh, the best way that I heard it said to me is that, listen, Jesus is not talking here about communion. Communion is talking about what Jesus is teaching here. You see the difference? So communion reminds us that Jesus is the bread we must eat, the drink we must drink. It proclaims that if I don't take Jesus deeply into myself, I am a dead man walking. He is the only pathway to life. The only way to sustain life, the only way to gain resurrection is to truly desire and devour Jesus. And he he summed it up where we began. Bread is good, but Jesus is better. This other stuff that we pursue, it's important and it's good and we have to live and we have to earn a living and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus is better. He summed it up there in verse 58. He said it this way. Listen, your ancestors ate manna and died. We can go after this other bread, and we should. We need to eat. But if that's all we have, then we die. But whoever feeds on this bread, whoever feeds on Jesus, will live forevermore. So Christ is just laying this out as as harshly as he can. He says it in radically offensive language so that people are like, whoa, what are you talking about? We're kind of used to it, you know, because we sort of understand this and we have communion. But for these Jewish people, it's like, what are you talking about? And he just says it in an offensive way. So he drives the truth into their heart and into their spirits. If you want eternal life, if you want to grow in the spirit, it has to be a priority to ingest Jesus. I need to ask myself, am I working for the kingdom? What am I working towards? In my dreams, in my thoughts, in my passions, in my heart, am I doing the work of God? Is that my priority? To learn more and more who Jesus is and to take him into my life so that he may transform me and make me suitable for eternity. Bread's good. The things we work for on earth are good. Bread's good. But Jesus is better. Almighty God, uh, there's so much in here and it's, it's easy for me to get distracted with the theological nuances and all of those things. But the bottom line, Father, is that your plan was for your son to descend to earth to take on our sin to give up his flesh on the cross to die to rise again 
to intercede on our behalf in the hallways of glory and to one day return and bring about the completion of new creation. This is true bread. Jesus is true bread. Jesus, you are the one who gives ultimate life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to crave Jesus in the same way we crave our daily bread. Make Jesus our daily satisfying bread. We pray in his name. Amen.